Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. So the place that we are in our church calendar, I feel like it's always important to remind us of that every, every Sunday when we gather, because so much can happen during the week to discombobulate us and to throw us sort of off track of what we should be keeping track of, which is following along in the church calendar. That should be our reference point in our lives, in our daily lives, not just our weekly or monthly lives, and certainly not just in relation to Christmas and Easter. But every single week, where is the church in this journey that we're all taking together communally? Because that's what we're doing when we show up here. We cease being simply ourselves. We cease being simply individuals or even just families or households. When we come and join together in this house, we are one family. And our reference point ought to be every Sunday, but that we also take it with us throughout the week, what we're doing together how are we living this life as a family together? So where we are as a family together this week is the Sunday called Quinquagesima. That's from Latin. It means the 50th. And this is the Sunday that falls within the 50th decade closest to Easter. Now, Easter itself has an ancient name called Quadragesima. It means 40th because we have 40 days of fasting. And so the church in, in a very Roman way Rome loved its, its decades, its tens, and so uh, it tended to count things back by, by decades. And so uh, we began this pre-Lenten season with the Sunday within the decade of the 70th, Septuagesima. Then we had the Sunday within the decade of the 60th, uh, Sexagesima. And now we're in the Sunday within the decade of the 50th, Quinquagesima. Those Romans had some crazy words, I'll tell you what. Of course, we live in the South, so we have to say it's something like Quinquagesima. So that's where we are, Quinquagesima, Sunday. Um, We are in a Sunday that is just on the verge of the season of Lent. This Wednesday is our Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of our 40 days of fasting. So we are right up against it. We're right there. So that's the attitude that we are you know, having to let ourselves realize to, to wash over us. We are at this season. Hopefully you have uh, gotten a chance to prepare a little bit of what you're going to be doing fasting-wise, how that's going to work, to think through what it means to uh, give up certain types of food, meats, to give up certain quantities of food to eat less, generally a meal a day with a a quarter of a meal. Now we have fasting guidelines and we have those printed out in the back and everyone take one with you so that you can uh, have it when you go home as a reference so that you can remember exactly what we're doing. And what we are doing is precisely something as a we. Again, this is a family fast. This is a family activity. It's fine to want to give up something else, like maybe I've been watching too much TV or spending too much time on Facebook. I'll cut that back during Lent. But what Lent is about, the Lenten fast, this is a communal thing. So that's what we are preparing to start on Wednesday. So that's where we are. 
Quinquagesima. What does the church serve up for us as a theme, as a lesson, as the Holy Scriptures on this important Sunday? Well, we have the story about Jesus going up to Jerusalem, telling his disciples, this is the start of all that is written about the Son of Man, and I'm going to accomplish it. And he tells them what all is going to happen to him. And the gospel says that they didn't understand a word that he was saying. They had no idea what he meant by what he was saying to them. But, okay, Jesus, we'll follow you. So Jesus starts journeying toward Jerusalem, going past the city of Jericho on his way. And this is something that is uh, this, this journey toward Jerusalem. We, we often call our Lenten journey our journey toward Jerusalem with Jesus. So this is something that we're kind of doing with Jesus, and that's part of why this story is here on this Sunday, because our whole Lenten journey is us following Jesus toward the cross, toward the fulfillment of what he's doing. In fact, at the end of our journey on Palm Sunday, what do we celebrate? What are we marking? Jesus finally reaching Jerusalem and going into Jerusalem with all the palms and all the uh, pomp and circumstance and, and all the hosannas and everything, that's kind of the end of the journey. And then, of course, a few days later, he meets the cross. But we start that journey today. That's what the scripture tells us we are doing. Jesus is saying, behold, now we're heading toward Jerusalem. That's exactly what we should be saying at the beginning of Lent. Now, the way that Jesus says, behold, we go to Jerusalem and describes his own death and gathers up his disciples and also a multitude. Uh, in the story, it says that there is the multitude traveling with Jesus. At this point in his ministry, this has been about three years that he has been traveling all around the land, amazing people with his teaching and astonishing them with his signs and wonders. He's been working miracles and he has spread some fame around Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. I mean, people know who this guy is. His name has gotten out there and now not only his disciples, the 12 around him, also the women, but also there's a multitude following him. A whole crowd of people are going with him from city to city to city. He's got a whole you know, multitude in his train and this whole crowd is going down the road and there's a commotion. And the, the thought of Jesus setting his face toward Jerusalem, saying, this is my time to not be thrown off track, to go and give myself up for the sake of the world. That's something, I always get emotional when uh, in movies, when a hero sacrifices themselves for the sake of someone else. You can ask Ashley. I, the waterworks, sometimes I can't stop them. They just, it's, there's something about watching a movie and have you ever seen Wreck-It Ralph? <laughs> ah, when Wreck-It Ralph decides to sacrifice himself, I just, I, I bawl like a baby. It's, it's ridiculous. I can't help it. I just, I just cry. Uh, Captain America. No spoilers, sorry. Um, you have to see it. Uh, the Patriot, that's been out a long time. I can't spoil that. You know when he grabs the flag at the end? Everyone's retreating and he grabs the flag and he wasn't even like, he wasn't on board just like a day ago. And then he grabs the flag and he, he's running through the arch and everyone sees him and in slow motion they turn back and they decide, no, we'll follow, we'll go through. And he's standing in the arch waving the flag. Oh God, just, 
There is something about the hero deciding, I am laying down my life because those around me are worth it. They are worth my life. And there's something to what Jesus says in this gospel that does the same thing to me. The way he says, it's time for the Son of Man to go to Jerusalem to lay down his life for the sake of the world. And then he's journeying, walking in determination to meet that end. It's just, it's, it's an incredible thing. And if we fail to let the gravity of Jesus' self-sacrifice, his choice, his will affect us emotionally, then maybe, maybe we could stand to pay more attention to the story, to spend more time with the person of Jesus. So he is now on his way in this self-sacrificial journey, determined to go to Jerusalem. Nothing can stop him, except something does. As he is passing by, and this is now not from the perspective of Jesus, we are now moving to the perspective of a man on the side of the road. Here is this man sitting, and Jesus is passing by, and he hears the commotion because of the giant crowd of people, and he asks someone, what's going on? And they say, Jesus. Jesus is coming by, and he knows who Jesus is because, again, Jesus, by this point, is pretty famous. And he doesn't say, can someone go get him for me? Can someone go talk to him? He doesn't even know where in the crowd Jesus is because he's a blind man. And he's not so content in his blindness to think, oh, wow, that's neat. I've heard of him. He's famous. That's cool. I wonder if I can be close to him. His first thought was for his healing. And he doesn't ask someone to go and get Jesus. He shouts out in every direction, wherever he thinks Jesus might be, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And he's screaming it so much so that he annoys the people around him and they try to shush him. Man, this this is Jesus. He's got an entourage, you know? Just leave him alone. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He shouts it over and over and over. And he makes such a commotion that Jesus hears him and stops. Jesus stops moving and he stands still. The Bible says that he stood. He was passing by and then he stood. He stops. Now, I don't know if you've ever been walking in a crowd people in front of you, around you, behind you, everyone's moving together. If you stop in a crowd, what happens? It's a very awkward thing. People bump into the back of you, then people bump into the back of them, and then it's a whole thing, and everyone's trying to figure, well, what's what's happening? So Jesus stops his entire entourage, this whole crowd of people, and he says, go get that guy who was shouting. Now, presumably, the people who were trying to shush him were the same people who ended up having to say, yeah, this was him, and, and bring him to Jesus. So this blind man, in his determination, says, you know, I, I am, he, he's brought to Jesus, and he encounters Jesus, and the first thing Jesus asks him is, what do you want me to do for you? This is where we get the question for our catechumens, and for our candidates for baptism and for chrismation, 
Before we do anything for them, we ask them, what do you want of the church? What do you want the church to do for you? The blind man had an issue and he knew what his thing was. And so when Jesus asks him this, he says, I want to receive my sight. In Jesus asking him, what do you want me to do for you? He is now forced to take some responsibility in his own salvation, in his own healing. He has to make an answer for himself. This is what I want. I want this specifically. And so Jesus, when he heals him, says, your faith has saved you. That's why when the church asks our catechumens and those being baptized and chrismated, what do you want of the church of God? The answer is faith. I want faith. I want the church to provide me with the correct faith that it takes, the same faith that the blind man had that healed him and gave him his sight. That's what the church can provide us. That's where we get that question. That's why we do it after this form. We're imitating Jesus. The church is doing exactly what she sees her Lord doing. That makes us responsible for our salvation. It gives us part of the responsibility for accepting the healing of God, faith. Now, this story is a perfect story for us right before Lent because it gives us two examples, two perspectives. We have the perspective of Christ and we have the perspective of the blind man. We have Christ saying to his disciples, we go. And then we have the blind man hearing, there he goes. So what do we learn from these two perspectives? Well, as to following Jesus, we learn that we have a forward direction in Lent. We have an end, a telos. We have a goal to our journey. We're not just fasting with no goal in mind. We're not just uh, increasing our prayer and works of mercy with no goal. We are moving toward Easter, to the cross and to the resurrection. So as we journey during Lent, we walk with Christ in the same way that he journeys to the cross with determination, but also willing to be open to anyone that God puts in our path along the way. Open to acts of charity as they're provided to us. Charity that our collect says, without which we have no life. Charity that St. Paul in our epistle said, it doesn't matter what gifts we have. It doesn't matter how astounding or amazing our life looks. It doesn't matter if we look like the most self-sacrificial people on earth. If we're giving all of our money to the poor and doing this, if we do not have the inner disposition of charity, of true love, then we aren't accomplishing anything. Now, there's a, an advantage, I think, to the King James version of that epistle reading that uh, Deacon Benjamin read, because the word that normally we hear in that passage, love is this, love is that, love is that. Love is the word used in a lot of translations, but in the King James, it keeps the word charity. In the Latin uh, scriptures, we have the word caritas uh, used in, in that passage. And now in our day and age, love and charity, they have different connotations, don't they? We, we think of different things. Love, we think of as a feeling. Charity, we think of as an action, kind of. 
Especially we think of it as, as a way of giving to those who have less than us. But charity, it, it is, if we have to pick one of the other, a feeling or an action, let's always grab onto the action. Let's always think of love as a verb in the immortal words of the great music group DC Talk. Love is something that we do. It's not just something that we feel in our hearts. It's something that we manifest through our actions. That's what love is. When uh, Peter in Holy Week betrays Jesus after the resurrection, what does Jesus ask him? Do you love me? Peter says, of course. And then what does Jesus say? Do this. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Do you love me? Because in abandoning me, that was an action that showed that you didn't love me. Three times you denied me. That's an action. So three times when I ask if you love me, do you have caritas? Do this to show it. Show that you love me by doing this. So when Jesus encounters someone in need of love, charity, he has both the inner disposition that we think of as love. His heart is moved. He stops and orients himself toward the person in need and then he heals him. So we have the example of Jesus. That's one perspective from this story. The other perspective is the blind man, and we can learn from him too. We, like him, have to call out to Jesus constantly. We have to inquire, where is Jesus? We have to call out with faith, even if we don't see Christ because of our blindness. What do we feel blind in, in life? You know, what confuses us, confounds us, leaves us unsure? In those places where we encounter darkness, confusion, where we don't know the right path, where we don't know the answer, call out to Christ. Call out and don't stop. Be insistent. It's okay to be insistent with God. It's okay to yell. God doesn't mind. From the perspective of the blind man, Jesus was passing, and he was standing still. But in reality, it's actually we in this life who are passing while Christ is standing still. Christ sits or stands at the right hand of the Father. We are spinning on this globe, flying around the sun, careening through space within this galaxy, passing through time. We are the ones who are passing Everything in this life is up in the air. You know, it's us who are constantly in motion, constantly in need of an anchor, a grounding. And when we call out to Christ, it might seem like it's Christ who's passing and stops for us, but it's actually us who are grounded in Christ. We, we are anchored in Christ. He becomes our existential spiritual, emotional anchor. He is able to hold us still in all the passing craziness of this life. So those two perspectives, the following Christ and the learning from the blind man, these are our lessons on this Sunday as we begin Lent in just a few days. Let us follow Christ resolutely, looking for opportunities 
to show love, charity, caritas along the way. Let us simultaneously cry out to Christ continually in all our blind places, seeking to stand still with him in security and peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.